Yes, it is time for another episode. We still keep doing this thing, don't we? Episode we number do. five. Number five. <laughs> Highlights from 1972. I'm Jimbo. And I'm the mixer. Yes, you are. And you know what? Today is kind of a bittersweet day. Um, yes, you know, I, people will listen to this episode at all sorts of different times, but in real time recording this episode, we know that yesterday we lost the father of rock and roll. Chuck Berry passed away at 90 years old and, uh, boy, you know, it, it was one of those things where there are times where you're like, wow, he's still around. And then there are times like he'll always be around. And uh, to actually hear of his passing was, it, it, it actually struck and me. And it was, well, I mean, you know, I called you and, you know, everybody's at different points of their life. But I mean, um, with what I do, I I had a show last night and I let the band members know. And then I called you and it's, you know, we had talked and yeah, you just have this numb feeling and you put it best. He was 90, so it's not like it was unexpected. But you don't really expect you it. Still, you still never expect you know, <laughs> the rock and roll to go away. Um, Eric Clapton said he laid down the law. I mean, he was he he was a interesting personality, difficult to work with, but he was also probably the first great rock and roll songwriter. Um, he wrote things differently than anybody had been doing before. Then he he took stories seriously, and. Um, you know, so he's just he's he's a he's a very unique individual in the history of rock and roll, not just because he started rock and roll, but because of the way he lived his life and the way he wrote his songs. Um, he, he did it his way. I mean, you know, like we can go through his songs and here's a little country boy writing about things that he experienced. And like you said, as he got into this industry, he still did it his way. He got to work with. People that we we consider legends, but they all considered him legends, and they just wanted to make him sound like mm-hmm. him. No, it it would be hard to find a, a guitar player or any serious rock and roll performer who wouldn't just bow down before Chuck and say, "Well, I mean, it all starts with Chuck." You know, I mean, from no. you know, from the Rolling Stones to the Beatles to Prince. I mean, everybody there. You know. Chuck was Chuck, and uh, there was no questioning his influence and authority on what became rock and roll. Well, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because we we cover all genres, and when we grew up listening to music, and if, if you look at the uh, posts from people that after Chuck passed, it is so funny because a lot of people that might tend to, uh, to listen to the metal stuff, they all, it, it it's funny because I saw more posts about Judas Priest cover of, of Johnny B. Good is the best cover ever. <laughs> but, but in respect to Chuck, there you go. <laughs> well, every, you know, the thing is, it's like every, everybody, I, I have to believe, learns to play Johnny B. Good. If you're a player, you learn to play Johnny B. Good. You learn the, the chord changes, you know, which... Right. Of course, Chuck didn't invent. They're the roots, the roots of the blues, and 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 so many other things. But like I, you know, I always call Johnny B. Good the national anthem of rock and roll. 
Well, it is. I, I remember you, you know, trying to teach me that song all the way through, and that's probably. I have to thank Chuck and you to this day because that's why I became a sound man. Because to this day, I can't play that song very good. <laughs> that's but why you could strum. You could strum along with it. It's three chords. Come on. I could strum along with it, but I mean, you know, let's talk about the double stops to this day, which is, oh yeah, you, you yeah. know, is copied by everybody. Well, and, and but that was know, the Keith, sound. Keith Richards is case in point. You know, I mean, Keith Keith learned how to play guitar by listening to Chuck Berry. So, you know, and, and the Chuck Berry so, albums, you know, a new me arm, you know? Yeah. I mean, when, and, and, and here we're talking band. about 1972 of, you know, is our, our theme for, you know, highlights from 1972 for this show. It's the only time Chuck had a number one hit. Which and was? of all things, <laughs> it's a, it's a PP song. Okay. <laughs> You must be talking it's about my, my ding-a-ling. It's my ding He has a novelty song. He actually had a really cool album out in 1972. His BBC sessions were really good. And there's, there's a lot of great um, audio and video of Chuck from 1972. But of all things, that's when he gets his only, his only number one hit. And it's my ding which I am not going to play for you, but I am going to play a little bit of him playing Johnny Be Good in 1972. So Please do. Here we go. <laughs> Deep down in Louisiana, close to New Orleans, where well, I up in the woods among the evergreens, there stood a log cabin made of earth and wood. And uh, Chuck was notorious for just traveling solo without a band, you know, after his initial recordings. Um, so by the 70s, he was traveling solo with his guitar, and he would use a pickup band in every town that he went to. And you never knew what key he was going to play something in, or how fast he was going to take it, or what the arrangement was going to be. And uh, <laughs> he basically yeah. showed up, showed up, said, show me my money. Show me my band, and uh, they'd run through a couple of things, and then it was like, hang on to your ass. <laughs> We're just going to well, run yeah. through this stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that's very interesting because being in the business, you know, like you said, he traveled by himself, and so the the local band or whoever was hired would ask for charts, and stories go that he really didn't give them any charts because, like you said, it it didn't really matter. If, if you don't, if you don't know my, if you don't know my stuff, then you're not supposed to be here anyway. So my, <laughs> it was basically my way. He, he knew, he knew, he knew his place in in the in the hierarchy. You know, the food chain. So he's like, no, yep. if you don't know my stuff, you shouldn't be here. Right. So anyway, moving on to uh, some a little bit of history. We'll we'll try to roll into the the episode a little bit more quickly now. Let's roll in 1972 more. <clears throat> 1972, curiously enough, was in some ways the longest year ever. Because you know how we have leap seconds that we add to the, you know, to years once in a while. Like, you know, there's a leap day and there's leap seconds and stuff. We 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 keep the clocks coordinated. 1972 was the year that we added two leap seconds. So 
We haven't done it since then, and of course we didn't do it before then, so in some ways you could say that 1972 was the longest year ever. <laughs> ever! Uh, <laughs> it's, also, it's also the year that in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, George Carlin got arrested for reciting the seven words you can never say on television. <laughs> he was at Summerfest in Milwaukee, and he actually said the seven words that you can't say on television, but apparently you couldn't say them at a comedy festival either. So, um. Doing it. And I, I didn't <laughs> so, realize that, that that was 1972, but uh, for all you Milwaukeeans, Summerfest is still going on to this day. That, that, that much? Oh, yeah. Fun? No, it's, 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 a, it's an institution. It's a big thing. You know, and also that it year, was also. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. With that year, you talk. I'm a big sports uh, fan. I, I, I always watch the Olympics, and you know, this one really hit me. Uh, it was the year that eleven Israeli athletes are murdered at the Munich Olympics. And, and like I said, I still remember Jim McKay for ABC Sports reporting that. And that that you know, being six years old, that was. Very true. Well, you know, and, and I remember I remember that, too. That's that's one of the formative times of your life where you're like watching history happen. And then you see him say that they're all gone. Yeah. And it's like, well, what does that mean? You know, you're yeah. a kid. And it's like that's what he said. They're all gone. He didn't say that yeah. they were killed. He said they're all gone. Yeah. And it's just that was just frightening. And at the same time, it's also also the Olympics where Mark Spitz like wins seven gold medals, you know, seven. as a swimmer. Um, so it was just this weird mixture of, you know, agony and ecstasy, I guess, the whole yeah. wide world sports thing. But, um, and Tricky Dick. <laughs> <laughs> he finally was up. got caught. <laughs> well, he, he didn't get caught that year though. That was when things started to happen during, during his reelection run. Okay. And so a lot of the stuff that later brought him down was happening then, but he still got reelected in November. In a landslide, okay? We, we elected him in a landslide um, even after he had, he had been up to his dirty tricks and, you know, which would eventually bring down his presidency. But, um, um, but on the rock and roll front, uh, happy Paul, McCart <laughs> Paul McCartney actually starts playing live again. With wings. So, Yes, with Wings, and since, you know, hadn't played since 1966 when they ended at Candlestick Park, if you don't, if you don't include the uh, 69 performance on the, the roof of the Apple, you know, building, but um, as, as far as actually going on tour, um, so he goes, he, he makes his live debut in England with, uh, with Wings, even as that same year, the, the official Beatles fan club closes down. So you talk about a transition. That's nuts. And it was all <laughs> it was also the first year of New Year's Rock and E with Dick Clark. Um, you oh, know, which, which know. again, that's the entire that's an entire era that has passed. But that was the first time that they they broadcast a rock and New Year's Eve with the ball dropping and Dick Clark hosting. And uh, and I, re I remember watching that with you. You know, every year when we were kids. Oh, yeah, we watched. We watched quite Mom a bit. and Dad. Yeah, that you know, that was something to stay up uh, to midnight to look forward to. Do you remember Mom and Dad buying the pong game? You know, I, I do remember playing pong, so I'm going to have to say yes. I, I didn't realize it came out in 1972. <laughs> it did, you know. And I look back and I go, "Wow, you know, here I was. You know, you you and I were very young kids." 
I remember having Pong. I remember having the first Atari game system. Yes. I don't really remember dad playing those things much, but it's like, for some reason, mom and dad bought these things. Like, I guess our kids should have these. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I sure don't remember dad playing Pong. I, I do remember, as, as all you Pong professionals do, when you had to go to the bathroom, you could figure out how to get it into the corner and just have it keep you know, bouncing <laughs> and, back and forth. And have it just keep bouncing back and forth. Yeah, just, because, you know, if, if you have to go, you know, go eat or go to the bathroom or... You know, so that was <laughs> all right. Hey, and we were in 1972. We actually were part of something else, sort of historic. We were, which um, uh, we were all camping. Yes, do you remember that? We were in uh, South Dakota, so this was a flash flood that I didn't know that was caused by a dam that burst on June 9th in Rapid City, South Dakota, and over 200 people uh, were killed. We were camping, so all four of us kids were. Uh, up, up alive then and in the camper and all I remember is it must have been two or three days that we just stayed in the camper and it just rained and it rained. Oh, I just, I just remember it, it hammering against the, the camper. It was. And I do remember the trip back into Rapid City and seeing whole sides of roads washed out, you know, down the mountain. Gone. And yeah. yeah. And uh, our dad was in the Air Force so uh, he got called back. We lived at Ellsworth Air Force Base and so I'll, I'll make this story quick. But so I remember going back. The sirens were going off still. Dad had to go back because everybody was on full alert. And it was overcast. So as kids were just outside, you know, playing, and it was overcast. And then I remember uh, waking up in the morning with blisters all over my back, which uh, turned into sunburns, uh, which now caused my great freckles on all of my shoulders. So. <laughs> a historic moment. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Flash Flood of 72. And do you also remember, Dad has a book, I'm sure he still does, that there was a book that was made, and I think the the proceeds went to the uh, release. I think so, fund. too. I think the Rapid City Journal or somebody put out a... Um, and a it was a hardcover from what I remember. Yeah. I, I'm sure he still has it somewhere, but anyway... All right. Well, we're going to hit 1972. We're going to we're going to do some highlights here and I'm going to hit the sound bumps for the three songs that we're going to talk about even though there were many many other highlights from this year. <laughs> Yeah, so one of these things is not like the others. Um, <laughs> it was really a year for um, contemplative, folky-type music. You know, you had Neil Young and you got Jack Jackson Brown. And then you've got Alice Cooper, of all things. So we're going we're gonna to start with Schools Out. <laughs> Thank you. 
And so I'm yes, sure, <laughs> and I'm sure still play to this day on the last day of every American school. I was going to say, you know, talking about national anthems of this and that, I mean, this is the national anthem of every kid on the last day of school. Yes, sir. (laughs) And the the funny thing is, I think that, um, you know, Cooper talked about wanting to write, you know, a a song that is inspired by what are the greatest three minutes of your life? And, you know, he thought, well, the first one is probably Christmas morning. And then it's probably that last few minutes before the bell rings to get out for the summer. And, um, and it's just like there's, there's a slow fuse burning. And he thought if we could catch that three minutes in a song, it's going to be so big. And he was right. It was, it was huge. It, it was, was his right. first major hit single. It was even, you know, it was like their fifth album. Right. And you have to remember you have to remember that Alice Cooper was not a person at the time. Alice Cooper was a band. That's right. And, you know. Uh, his name is Vincent Fernier. So Vince Detroit later <laughs> Vince later had to take on the name Alice Cooper and and legal had changed it and we'll talk about that in a little bit too, but it really Alice Cooper was the name of a band. Right in, in that band, so so Alice Cooper or Vincent was on vocals. Uh, Glenn Buxton was on lead guitar. Michael Bruce was on rhythm guitar, keys, and backing vocals. Dennis Dunaway was on bass guitar and backing vocals. And, and Dennis Dunaway was a monster. I mean, that was just well. The, you and I talked about this. Kids, yeah. l- listen to this song. That bass part is huge, you know. And then uh, Neil Smith who's no slouch on drums and backing vocals. And Bob uh, Ezrin was a keyboards and producer. And, and for all you kids, uh, for, for all you KISS fans out there, Bob Ezrin ha- was a major player with the KISS sound. He's got a rep. I mean, you know, yeah, he... <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he's got his niche. <laughs> well, I mean, he certainly was was identified with a lot of the, I guess we would call them shock rock, you know, or, or cartoon rock almost, you know, these, you know, between Alice Cooper and... and uh, Right and Kiss, well, both of whom funny. both of whom still play because I see billboards for Alice Cooper when I drive down to Minneapolis. Oh, absolutely! Because he's he, out right now. Is he playing out at uh, you know Grand Casino or something? You know the, this summer. And yep, there's a big billboard for Alice, Alice Cooper out there. Well, and like uh, you know, like you said, I mean to uh, <clears throat> not only to us, but he is the godfather of, of shock rock. He was a huge. Um, horror movie fan and you know we can talk about the influences uh he toured for a while with uh rob zombie who's a huge horror fan and a a huge alice cooper fan because it was just it it was fun to him (laughs) i think i mean it's what he liked you know (laughs) the first concert i ever bought a ticket for yes and went to see was alice cooper and so the baby the baby's opened for him by the way John I remember, and, yeah, I, I remember that because I remember mom and dad having a serious conversation about letting you go to that concert. And I, <laughs> should, I thought, should, should we let him go to Alice Cooper or not? Yeah. And I thought that would open the door for me. And I don't really believe I really received any benefit out of that. <laughs> <clears throat> That's what, yes, I can. Uh, I, I lost my uh, rock and roll concert virginity to, uh, to Alice Cooper. And you would have been fifteen, I right? Sixteen? Yeah, I was. You know, I was. Yeah, I was. I was in junior high, and um, 
and it was it was at the Grand Forks. I don't know Civic Center or something. I mean, it was just Civic you know, Center, it yeah. wasn't a real really big Hislop's place, Arena, but, uh, I believe. Hislop's Arena. Yeah, could be. I think. But um, and the whole idea of even at that time they had projected images on a screen, and he would jump through the screen like he was in the film, and then he would jump at the screen and come out through the through the screen onto the stage. And of course, disappear on the video behind him, you know, so they had all this stuff timed out where, you know, when, right. when you're, when you're in junior high school, you think, man, that's freaking cool. Well, yeah. Cause I remember you uh, coming back from that and he had the live snake then I, I believe. Right. So he brought it yep, out there. Yep, yep. And then you said that he wore a, a red, uh, I guess I can say nut protector. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He had a cup on. Right? Yes, he did. Cup on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Now you're bringing back some memories I haven't thought about for a while. That was that was really a bizarre kind of. And show. that was shock yeah. rock for 1978. <laughs> <laughs> People thought he was the devil. No. Yeah. So anyway, it became Alice Cooper's "The Band." It became their first major hit single, reached number seven on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, and the album was also called "Schools Out," and the album went to number two on the, the Billboard top, uh, top 200 album chart. Although some radio stations banned the song, stating that the song gave the, the students a negative impression of rebelliousness against childhood education. <laughs> Teachers, parents, principals, counselors, and psychologists also shunned that song and demanded several radio stations to ban the song from ever being played on the air. Which just goes to show you that every single time we've tried to ban songs... You know, become more popular. Da- dating, <laughs> da- well, dating back to Elvis and and everything else. Every time, and uh, oh gosh, we the whole idea of satanic messages between uh, behind Hotel California and other things like that. Every single time we try to ban those things, not only do they become more popular, but we look back a few years later and we go, "What the hell were we worried about?" Yeah. <laughs> well, right. Yeah, that's pretty stupid because if, you know, I mean, and if we take schools out. You know, the lyrical meaning, it's not only that the school year's ended for summer vacation, you know, but it's ended forever. And the school itself has been blown up. Yes, I know. It's, it's like, you know, there's that implication that, which probably every school child has thought about at some time, or many have, is that, you know, what if it wasn't just the last bell for the year, but it was the last bell ever. Right. And yeah. we could just blow up the entire school. Right. No more pencils, no more books, no more teachers, dirty looks. You know, and it's also featured uh, uh, the little child or, or the children chorus, and they're singing that, which yep, I thought yep. was cool. So. Yep. No more teachers, no more books, no more or no more teachers, dirty looks, something like dirty that. But, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't put it in the notes, but one of my... One of my favorite lines from this song is, we've got no innocence. And then he, he says, we can't even think of a word that rhymes. That rhymes, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, that was so, so perfect. <laughs> we yeah. can't even think of a word that rhymes. I'm a C student. <laughs> I can't think of a word that rhymes. I don't care, teacher. <laughs> you know? Good, good for you, kids. Absolutely. Yeah, so... Um, have you heard any of the Hollywood vampire stuff? Just clips of it. I I just think yeah. it's very cool that the band that he's assembled. So 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's like it's it's really a, a bizarre super group. With, with <laughs> it's uh, Johnny Depp and Joe Perry, and who who the yeah. heck else is in there? But uh, um, so yeah, that's uh, a <laughs> that's an interesting thing. Um, so the Alice Cooper band, the actual band Alice Cooper, last performed in 1974, and then Alice who we know as Alice today, went solo. And Welcome to My Nightmare came out, and that was his his big solo introduction. And he, he legally changed his name to Alice Cooper. But Alice Cooper, the name, was actually property of the various members of the band. And so he still continues to pay every year a royalty <laughs> to all the other band members from the original Alice Cooper band in order to have the rights to use the name Alice Cooper, even though his legal name is Alice Cooper. Wow. Is that you know, convoluted, convoluted enough for you? Very <laughs> convoluted, but here's the thing that I like about Alice, and those of you that listen to his uh, Alice at Nights, I believe, his radio show, he's very intelligent. Oh, he's very sharp, yeah. And he, you know, as far as I know, you never hear about the band breaking up or bad blood. It's just... They just kind of disbanded, and he went on by himself. Well, I think once Alice got clean, because he was, you know, he was notorious for for drinking drinking multiple cases of Budweiser Atta per boy. day. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think hey. once he cleaned up, you know, and then he found golf, and golf seems to have been sort of one of his saving graces. But uh, he's a scratch golfer. He's <laughs> he's <yeah>. great. <laughs> And um, so he's he's extremely intelligent. He's clean. Um, he's actually very smart about you know the the stuff that he writes and that he does, and um, and, and, and and how he treats other people. Yeah, and I'll just I just I have to throw this in there because so he got clean and he's very smart about the business and about his writing. And so in the eighties, he would still tour with like you know the bands of the eighties with Motley Crue and stuff. And so they would ask him. Story goes that somebody from Motley Crue said, you know, Alice, how has your marriage lasted so long? And, and at, at that time, with, with the poisons of the world and uh, Motley Crue and stuff, they would normally marry strippers. And he said, easy, stop marrying strippers. They're strippers. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's pretty simple. All right. I can't improve upon that. <laughs> Two minutes and 55 seconds of an unexpected hit, actually, for Jackson Brown in 1972 from his debut album. Um, 
two minutes and 55 seconds. Is It was his first single, and it actually, I don't know if you, do you listen to a lot of Jackson Brown at all? No. I mean, not on purpose is my line, but. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, I, no, uh, but I, I mean, I, I love Jackson Brown stuff. It's very introspective. But it's very um, intellectual and lyrical. Dr. My Eyes wasn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily follow what became his pattern. Although the interesting thing about it is that it's it's this upbeat, you know, jangly tune with very downbeat lyrics. And I guess the original lyrics were very <laughs> down, very downbeat. Very dark. Um, so we have we have this sort of weird, you know, juxtaposition of, you know, upbeat music. Right. But world weary, you know, lyrics and stuff. So, and even though, uh, talk about even though this was his first release, Jackson Brown is also known for, well, the same year the Eagles came out with Take It Easy, right? Which, which, which Jackson wrote and also put on an album of his as well. Oh, and I, I have, I have actually that. seen Jackson, I have actually seen Jackson Brown perform Take It Easy live. Wow, I've, I've, I, 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 wow. You know, I got a chance to work with him. David Lindley w w wasn't playing uh, with him at that time, and I don't remember if Not they at this did. Time, no. yeah. yeah, but um, it's funny how you say. I just need to interject this quick that you know his songwriting and stuff. And those of you familiar with with Jackson stuff, uh, the loadout song, w w which goes into "Won't You Stay," for every band person, that loadout song is like our anthem. <laughs> you know, and, and I still have bad members that makes them cry. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I mean, Running on Empty was probably, what, uh, another 10 or so years ten after years. this. Yeah. Um, and I remember the interesting thing about Running on Empty being that he went out and played the songs live before ever recording it. There was so he was playing you, normally at the time you would release an album and then you'd go out on tour and play the songs that were on the album to promote the album. Sure. He flipped it. He flipped it around and said, no, we're going to write a bunch of songs and we're going to work them out on tour and then we'll record the album. And so he flipped everything upside down. And so running on empty, that was one of the most interesting things I remember about that was that. So like, you know, the loadout, um, you know, doing stay, all of that, was worked out over time, just seeing how people react to things and, uh, and what life was like on the road. And, um, so it became almost a rock opera about life on the road. It did. It, but it, it, yeah, it was, but it was worked out live. It was worked out in the process of doing it. Which gives it that feel because that's, <laughs> that's what that song is about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's about playing and, you know, I think we can probably do something, another episode but that song definitely for the concert goers i think gives them a very re real feel of of that and about that same time i, I thought that bob seeger's um song did, did as well i mean at the end of that i can't think of it now <laughs> turn the page <laughs> turn the page yeah i mean it's, exactly so very... there was a there was a time period where um rock and roll touring was was a a big thing. It's how they make money. Psych <laughs> psychological. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, now, well, at the time you made money from selling your albums, but you toured to support them. Well, now, now artists make their money from touring. 
and selling t-shirts and everything else, you know, and, yeah. and uh, you know, that mer- things that been, merchandise. <laughs> that's where the real money's at. Things have been flipped around a little bit, but uh um there was this whole mythology of being on the road and being like an outlaw and everything else. So running on empty and <clears throat> you know, Bob Seeger was another big one. Yeah, turn um, There's just so many songs that are about life on the road. And we don't see as much of that anymore because I think, you know, <laughs> the big bands now, they they fly out and play for three days and they fly home. Right. And then they fly out and they play for three days and then they fly home. Right. You know, for, and, and you're not you're you're not on the bus every day. Right. And for all you <clears throat> for all you kids out there, it's not very glamorous. I'll I'll be honest. We, we just, I've been on a couple of bus fires. I've been on a couple. It, uh, it's Char- very, uh, Charlie Watts, you have to have Charlie a lot of Watts patience. Fam- Charlie Watts is famous for saying, you know, it's mostly waiting around. It is. <laughs> <laughs> he, he talked about the glamour of being a Rolling Stone on tour. And he goes, well, it's, it's a lot of waiting around, isn't it? Yeah. Our, <laughs> our phrase is hurry up and wait. And that's, yep. That's the crew motto. <laughs> So yeah, um, talk about the musicians on here. Actually. Well, yeah, well we have uh, Jesse Ed Davis. I love the guitar sound on this on this this album. Yeah. Um, so Jesse Ed Davis, who also played, um, he he played with the Stones, Lennon, George Harrison, Clapton, Stewart, Bob Dylan. I mean, he was really fairly well known for being a hired gun for a lot of people, and. Right. Uh, the guitar sound, the lead guitar sound on there is so distinctive. Uh, Leland Sklar, if you've, if you've ever heard of him on bass, it's just he's one of my, Actually, I just have to say, he's one of my favorite bass players. I just saw something posted, maybe on Facebook or something. So he he is, he's the real deal. He is mm-hmm. a great musician. And what I did not realize is that the backing vocals, which you don't hear too much of until near the end, it's David Crosby and Graham Nash. Wow. You know, so you got you've got Crosby and Nash and Jackson Brown all together on Doctor My Eyes. I didn't even know that until no, I started that, looking into this. That goes so. back to that whole L.A. scene yep. that you know these all all these cats were hanging out in the same. Studio. Well, it was a very yeah. It was a, it was a very. I don't know if incestuous is the right word, but it was a a very <laughs> closed. <laughs> it was a very closed circuit of musicians that were all. Hanging around with each other, you know, and playing at the same clubs and and sitting in on sessions with each other. So, um, so yeah. And then the the lyrics of the song, I mean, if you really look through them, they're just so depressing. (laughs) (laughs) They're not happy. (laughs) Doctor, my eyes cannot see the sky. Is this the prize for having learned how not to cry? It's like I had to harden myself from the, the horrible things that happen in the world so that I don't feel anything anymore. Right, and I'm like, wow, that's that's dark. (laughs) (laughs) Here, I'm going to play something that I know you've never heard before. You ready? All right, I'm ready. Now, you must recognize the voice, obviously. I 
recognize the hee-hee voice. Um, I've never heard that. <laughs> yes, Jackson, no, Jackson 5, right? The Jackson 5 covered, uh, <laughs> covered the song. And so did actually Mary Travers from Peter, Paul, and Mary. She does, actually does a really nice version of it, which I you know, will not pull out here. I but um, I thought to, right. to hear Jackson, the Jackson 5 covering that was like, and just to hear the young, pure Michael Jackson voice, that very, very yeah, high voice. Uh, that was. <laughs> See, so, kids, I'm you're not going to get I'm that anywhere else. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you tune in with bated breath whenever you do tune in. That's why. That's, that's a little nugget that you won't get right. anywhere else. All right. We're going to take another short break and we'll be right back. All right. Doctor, my eyes have seen the years and the slow parade of fears without crying. Now There we go. Recorded in uh, 1971, but it wasn't released until 1972. Wow! And so we've got we've got Neil Young, who was in <laughs> he was in Nashville to record a performance for the Johnny Cash show, and wow. decided decided to pull together a uh, recording session and put together three minutes and seven seconds of Heart of Gold, which really, again, is not. Typical Neil Young type of stuff. Um, you know, it's a very straightforward metaphor. A lot of his songs go all over the place. It was not a typical Neil Young song. And some people theorize that it's because he had hurt his back. And so he couldn't he couldn't really stand and play his electric guitar like he'd like to play. So he had to wow. sit down and hold his acoustic. And so the the album Harvest ends up being a result of this where I'm just going to sit here and play my acoustic and play the harmonica. Yeah. And, and which uh, is, uh, whether you're a Neil Young fan or not, it's a great album period. <laughs> oh yeah. No, it's, you know, obviously a classic and it's, it's really the only, I think it's the only number one that Neil Young ever had really in, in, in the United States, you know, okay. probably he, he might have he might have hit in Canada a couple of times, but because um, he's a Canadian, but uh, that's right. Um, do you? It, it, was, <laughs> do it you was recorded only in in two takes, so two maybe takes. his back must have Went been straight hurting. through it. <laughs> do you remember um, the Vote for Change tour? Um, oh yeah, gosh, it was when it was uh, George Bush was running for re-election. And it was John Kerry running against him, I think, right? And uh, so there were a series of concerts put, to, put together, and one of them was in Minneapolis. And so it was uh, Bruce Springsteen, R.E.M., Bright Eyes, um, oh, uh, from Creedence Clearwater. Um, uh, Fogarty. Fogarty was there. And unannounced, 
Neil Young showed up. Really? <laughs> it's like it's like so we're we're already seeing this super group concert, you know. And you were there, these, right? These bands playing, and I was there, yes. And and they bring out they bring out Neil Young, and I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah. Unannounced, Neil Young comes out, and he and Springsteen, oh, they do all along the Watchtower and a couple of other things, but to see Springsteen and Neil Young face to face, trying to cut each other down on guitar. <laughs> like I'm gonna play a I'm gonna play a phrase, you play a phrase. I'm gonna play a phrase, you play a phrase. And I'm like, I'm watching Bruce Springsteen and Neil Young in a cutting contest. It was crazy. <laughs> well, talk about who's on this this song because again, you look at the uh the relationship that all these musicians had together, um it's really bizarre to see who ends up singing with somebody else yeah which you know which i never knew so the backup vocals are actually by james taylor and linda ronstadt now they don't come in, in until the end of the song but i'm like yeah wow. so james taylor and linda ronstadt are on <laughs> are on heart of gold i didn't know that did nope. not know that nope you know and then he had you know, you know musicians that he played with uh teddy Irwin. Uh, ben Keith was on pedal steel, Tim Drummond on bass, uh, Kenny Buttry on drums. Yeah. And then of course, you know, Taylor and Ronstadt who just were like, Oh, I guess we're hanging around. Yeah. We can sing right. with you. So like you said, <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, you know, we're just, you know, we're not really doing anything right now. Yeah. Well, I, I got a couple minutes. So. <laughs> but like you said, it's the only, um, number one U S single that Neil Young has had, uh, to date in Rolling Stone, ranked at number 297 on their list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. So he's not quite halfway there, but... Um, well, you know, the, again, we're talking about the top 500, so it's like... Right. It's still, you're you're at the top of the top. Yeah, so that, that that's nothing to be, you know, that's, that's pretty darn good. He also became the first Canadian to have a number one album in the U.S. Uh, when Harvest, which I talked about, uh, topped the Billboard... Uh, 200 for two weeks in April of 72. So, yes, Canadians are somehow too nice to have number one hits in the U.S. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do a, a Canadian show because there's, there's, there's a lot of good Canadian bands. That oh, yeah, there are. You know, it's funny because um, <clears throat> when, um, when Neil Young put out Decade, um, a collection of, of a bunch of his work, he in his in his liner notes he said heart of gold put me in the middle of the road traveling there soon became a bore so i headed for the ditch which he <laughs> he's not necessarily he's not necessarily dissing the song so much as he's not comfortable being mainstream right and uh, and uh, so it's like oh i got too close to mainstream here <laughs> I, yeah. I, I better I better duck out. And the other funny thing is that, you know, Bob Dylan has always loved Neil Young. Um, but Heart of Gold made Bob Dylan very uneasy because um, <laughs> he said, I was living in, in Phoenix, Arizona in about 72. And the big song at the time was Heart of Gold. I used to hate it when it came on the radio. I always liked Neil Young, but it bothered me every time I listened to Heart of Gold. I think it was at number one for a long time, and I'd say, 
shit, that's me. If it sounds like me, it should as it should as well be me. <laughs> it was just it was just a little too close to the bone for Bob. I don't know. It's too close to home. It's like, wait a minute. Maybe I wrote that song yeah. and I didn't know it. And you really, you know. When I when I listen to the radio and I think it's when I listen to the radio and I think it's me, hmm. <laughs> it should be me. I, I, hey, I can agree with that theory. And uh, so the song been, was. Go ahead, talk about the covers. It, it's been covered numerous times. Which I'm, I'm going to read these, and I'm not sure if I've heard any of these. Uh, Johnny Cash, <laughs> Dave Matthews, which. I've done a lot of Dave Matthews shows, and so that I probably remember. Jimmy Buffett and Willie Nelson, who had a went to number forty four country hit in eighty seven with his version. You know, and I I was going to try to pull up a copy of that because I have never heard that before. I don't think but I it was have a hit. Either. So yeah. anyway, now do you have you ever read the the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books? I Douglas have Adams. not. The, it was a. Was it also a series for a while? Well, yeah, the BBC did a series on it, okay. and, and uh, there yeah. was a movie but that came out as well. But um, be- right. beforehand, it was it was a series of books, and I was a science fiction nut, so yes, I I read a lot of yeah Douglas Adams stuff. But uh, anyway, so <laughs> the uh, the the central protagonist of of uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a guy named Zaphide Beeblebrox. And um, he steals a spaceship, which is named the Heart of Gold. So I I think that Douglas Adams was sort of inserting a little Neil Young tribute in there. But uh, that's all I know. That's cool. All right. We're going to take a break. And we're going to come back for some, for some trivia. Trivia. Stick around, kids. Time for some trivia. And here we go, kiddies. The part of the show where I get to totally, totally surprise Mick. You have no idea yes. what's coming up, do you? I actually have no <laughs> idea because my notes for, for all you out there says trivia. <laughs> That's well, it. Because I print that I print that off separately. I purposely do not ah. show that. So okay. Much. All right, so um, we're talking about number one hits from 1972. Okay. Since we're talking about 1972. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to give you a, <laughs> I'm going to give you a set of lyrics, and you tell me what song they came from, and I will give you multiple options. Okay. Okay, so it's multiple oh, choice. I'm ready. Oh, and there we were, all in one place, a generation lost in space, with no time left to start again. So come on, Jack, be nimble, Jack, be quick. Is that from Without You, American Pie, Oh Girl, or I'll Take You There? We'll take American Pie for 500, Bob. It is American Pie. I gave you an easy one to start with. <laughs> yeah. They're going to get harder. <laughs> right. 
All right. So what did Al Green, what did Al Green want him and his girlfriend to do in his song from this year? Stick together, stay together, work together, live together. Dang it. I need him one more time. Stick together, stay together, work together, or live together. Stick together. Oh, man, it's stay together. It's a classic. Oh, I know it's a classic. <laughs> I just had, in my defense, I had Rod Stewart's, okay, that was stay with me. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. Too many lyrics in my head. So, yes, it was actually a number one hit for at least a week um, uh, for Al Green in 1972. Okay. All right. Well, this one you already know. Heart of Gold by Neil Young. This is a true-false question. Okay. Heart of Gold was his only top 20 hit in the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. True or false? Well, it was his only number one hit. Is this a trick question? (laughs) (laughs) It was his only top 20 hit in the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. True or false? False. <laughs> it's true. It was his only top 20. <laughs> but it was a very tricky question. It was. That's why I said, is this a trick question? <laughs> All right. Who rode through the desert on a horse with no name in 1972? Oh, one of my Canada, America, England, or France? <laughs> it's America. America. You know, I don't like America. Okay, hold on. I mean, on I don't second. like the I don't like <laughs> I don't like the band. I never well, was a fan of America. Well, then we're going to have to have some. We, you know, we may have to have some separate uh, podcasts because because they were I actually, technically I actually very did. competent. I just did not really. That was not at the time that I was growing up. That was right. not my cup of tea. So, well, let, let me just. I've learned. This. I've learned to appreciate. Go okay. ahead. Go ahead. Well, let me just insert this because do you remember? Man, when when we started buying 45s, I actually think my first 45 was Rubber Band Man by the Spinners, but I'm almost sure that (laughs) yes, kids. And my second one was Sister Golden Hair Surprise. Well, yeah. We all make mistakes. (laughs) Well, no, it's technically a very competent song, you know, but I just, I never was, it never spoke to me. But anyway. I got you. All right. Here we go. All right. Who reached? Who had her first number one hit with the first time ever I saw your face in 1972? Aretha Franklin, Roberta Flack, Thelma Houston, or Dionne Warwick? Uh, Roberta Flack. It was Roberta Flack. Yeah. Oof. Yep. Yeah. Hold that one out, kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did. She was from North Carolina, and. Um, she was, she has an interesting history. I mean, she was the first, uh, one of the youngest students to enroll at Howard University in Washington, D.C. They yeah. awarded her a music scholarship. She was the first black student teacher at an all-white school in Maryland. And after graduating from Howard University at 19, she had various teaching jobs in North Carolina and Washington, D.C. So she was a Man. teacher. She was a school teacher and went on to become, you know... Pretty good singer. (laughs) Very famous singer, yeah. All right, here we go. This singer had a number number nine hit in 1955, but had to wait nearly 17 years for his next top ten hit. 
Candyman was the song. Who was the singer? Sammy Davis Jr., Brooke Benton, Mel Torme, or Jack Jones? I'm going to say Sammy Davis Jr. because I know that he did that song. I guess I didn't know if he wrote it, but I'm going to stick yes. with Sammy Davis no, Jr. No, no, it was his, it was his, he didn't write it, but it was his, it was his, wow. uh, <clears throat> it was his next top 10 hit. Yes. Who can make wow. a sunrise? 17. Which I always, I always remember from, uh, you know, the, the Gene Wilder. Um, I was going to say, movie, uh, but, uh, Willy Wonka. Yep. Yep. All right. What is the title of the only U.S. number one hit by Gilbert O'Sullivan? Claire, Get Down, Out of the Question, or Alone Again, Naturally? Ooh. Wow. I want to say Claire, but I'm going to say Alone Again, Naturally. It was Alone Again, Naturally. Yes. It was his only U.S. number one hit, but he did have uh, he did Claire was another hit for him, and Get well, Down was a hit, oh, but um, it was his only number question. one. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I guess I didn't realize that all those were his songs. <laughs> that's how much of a that's how much of a Gilbert O'Sullivan fan I am. But. Well, he had his moment in the in, you know moment in the sun there. He didn't write that. <laughs> Which two colors were Three Dog Night singing about on their third and last number one record? They were singing about red and blue, orange and pink, green and yellow, or black and white. Wow. Hmm. Um, black and white. It was black and white. Of course it was. Oof. Of course it was. Yeah. So they had, um... They had eleven top ten hits. They, Three Dog Night did. I mean, they, they had their out some some, they, some tunes. They cranked out some stuff. They had, you know, I mean, uh, Mama told me not to come. Joy to the world. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they were they were the they were the deal for a while. Yeah, and I think they still might be going it. And I don't. I'll have to check my facts. They have. They, um, they have. They have various permutations of the band that are still out there. Right. Um, because I'm not, original... sure who, I'm not sure who actually owns the name. Oh, right. Because you know? I'm not sure if the original lead singer passed away or not. I don't want to start any false yeah. rumors. But yeah, no. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I would have to look that up. But um... yeah. All right. We're getting to the end. Come on, bud. Uh, All right. <laughs> so Johnny Nash first entered the Billboard chart in 1957, but had his only number one hit in 1972. With a song that included these lyrics, what is the title of that song? Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. The titles are Help Me Make It Through the Night, Give Me Just a Little More Time, You Can Get It If You Really Want, or I Can See Clearly Now. I can see clearly now. Yes, you can. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I have my glasses on, kids. That's why. <laughs> so I'm going to end up with an easy one for you. So Helen Reddy in 1972 said, I am. Woman. Yes. I didn't even give you choices. 
I know. <laughs> I, know. I would have been. I would have been. I would have been disappointed if you would have missed that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we definitely. You would have had a new host next week. Dang it! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, once again, we don't make this stuff up. I found. I found a new. Uh, a new site that I kind of liked for this one. That was songmango.com. Songmango. I'm gonna have to check that out. Which is. It's exactly what it sounds like. Song Mango. Dot com. <laughs> I like mango. You, mm. you, you have the entire internet at your disposal, just like we do. That's right. Um, and all kinds of useless information, probably in your heads, just like we do. <laughs> That's um, right. So Google it. <laughs> Get it out. <laughs> You're probably not brothers like we are, but uh, no, yeah, no. we're all. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> um, Whatever. Um, but. Um, so Don't we're gonna try. we're gonna head out of here and uh, <laughs> we're gonna talk over each other, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be back again very shortly in internet time. So that's right. That's right. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> talk to you later, man. <laughs>